And the reason I ran for mayor is because I think it is the perfect intersection of the public and the private sector. I think at a certain level, when you are um, legislating policies and other things, I think you get lost in the sauce with like state senate and delegate. I think mayor is a sort of executive branch role, but you're not in DC. These are people like, I go to Food Lion, I go to the gym and people will say, hey, can I talk to you about the schools or there's a pothole? I mean, it really is where the rubber meets the road and like you actually get things done at the local level. That's the voice of Philip Jones, the 33-year-old Marine Corps vet who recently won his election to become the mayor of Newport News, Virginia. I'm Dr. Max Clow, host of the New Politics Podcast, and today I'm excited to lift up the voice and experience of this remarkable servant leader who has chosen to serve again through politics. Philip Jones is the son of two Air Force pilots. He spent much of his youth in and around Newport News, Virginia, during the years when his parents weren't stationed abroad in Japan or Europe. His connections to this fourth largest city in Virginia are deep, and he has long dreamed of returning to his home community to serve through politics. After high school, Philip attended the Naval Academy and went on to serve as a Marine, rising to the level of captain. He considers leading Marines to be the greatest honor of his life. And although he loved military service, he dreamed of having an impact through politics. So he ended up leaving active duty to pursue a joint degree at Harvard, where he completed a master's of public policy at the Kennedy School, along with an MBA at the business school. During his time in graduate school, he heard about our Answering the Call program, and that is when we first encountered Philip here at New Politics. He found a lot of value in the program, and he actually went on to serve as an Answering the Call facilitator. For as long as we've known him, Philip has talked about running to serve as mayor of his hometown of Newport News. The opportunity presented itself with the 2022 election when the longtime incumbent announced that he was going to retire and there was no heir apparent. Philip jumped into the race along with three other candidates. Beginning with zero name recognition and no past political experience, Philip went on to outraise his combined opponents by more than $100,000 and went on to win with 40% of the vote. When he formally assumes the role of mayor on January 1st, 2023, he'll be the youngest person to ever hold that office. In this interview, Philip talks about his lifelong commitment to service and how his time in the military shaped his life and his approach to politics. He talks about what he gained from his experience with new politics and shares his vision for Newport News that will guide his administration in the years ahead. Philip is an amazing servant leader, and I'm thrilled to lift up his voice on this episode. Philip Jones, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it, Max. Um, your organization has sown so much into me that whenever I can help with anything, I'm only a phone call or a text away. Fantastic. Well, congratulations to you on your recent uh, victory and election as mayor of Newport News, Virginia, and just really excited to hear your story and kind of share it with our community. So there is a a question I always begin with, which is, what's your earliest memory of learning the value of service? I think just growing up in a military family, service has been something that has been sort of woven into the fabric of who I am as an individual. I think the delineation between my parents' service and my own service started like a lot of people uh, on September 11th 
I can remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, um, the TV that came into the room, the principal over the one MC, uh, my parents coming to get me. I think that's when I really understood what it was uh, to lead a life of service. And I think that after that, Naval Academy, Marine Corps, et cetera, those are things that just compounded what it means to be a servant leader. Wow. And I know you've written about this. So you were in sixth grade on 9-11, right? right? And grown up, were you in Virginia at that point? Where were you living? Yeah. At the, yes. I was. Yeah. I mean, I was I was in Newport News and I was going to school in Hampton at, at Hampton Christian. And uh, I can literally remember exactly what happened where I was. I think I had forgotten to do some sort of math homework and I was nervous about that. And then uh, I think for a lot of people, the world changed that day. Yeah. But sixth grade and you knew at that point, this was, you, you were going to have to surf. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think everyone has a sort of an obligation, a moral mandate, and just seeing uh, the country rally around the president and, you know, just uh, our military, I knew that I wanted to be a, a part of that and involved in some way. Yeah. So you've already mentioned both of your parents were Air Force pilots. So obviously military service is kind of deep in your blood. Tell us a little bit about what's it like to grow up with two Air Force pilots as parents and give us a little sense of your kind of early life there. Yeah, of course. So I was actually born in Okinawa, Japan. Um, there's only a basically a few bases where my mom and dad could both live. Mm. Uh, my dad was an F-15, so a fighter pilot, and my mother was a navigator on the KC-135 platform. So I think basically they could live in Japan, uh, North Dakota, Montgomery, Alabama, and maybe somewhere on the West Coast, where it's, uh, you know, a location that, that had two different squadrons, right. different platforms. And so we spent a lot of time in Japan, um, especially when, when my dad took over as squadron commander, um, I think for the, the bats. Um, so great time growing up overseas in my early years. Uh, a lot of international friendships that really cultivated um, my identity and who I was as like a young black man growing up outside of um, outside of the country for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Amazing. How many countries did you live in? Oh, um, I think we mostly did the first sort of iterations was Japan. I was like Japan, United States, Japan, United States. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think after they became missionaries, that's when we actually started to travel to. Uh, New Zealand, Australia, the Philippines, South Korea. I think that was sort of on the third or fourth rotation. Um, but I was basically either in Japan or in Virginia for the majority of my time. And am I to understand your parents became kind of uh, religious missionaries later on? That's correct. So oh, wow. they graduated. Yeah, they okay. graduated from um, the Air Force Academy. Their class of 1982. Mm -hmm. So they basically did you know, 20 or 21 years in the Air Force, they retired on the same day. And then afterwards, they wanted to move into sort of ministry roles. So I think around, you know, 2003, 2004, that's when we moved back to Japan. But this time, instead of as, you know, Air Force dependents, it was as missionaries full time. Oh, it's so interesting. So you have both the military service and kind of religious service is a, what a fascinating way to grow up. Exactly. Um, so both your parents were in the Air Force. You chose to go to the Naval Academy. Uh, tell me about that. Was it an easy choice? Just uh, say a little bit about that moment in your life. Of course. So it was interesting. I, I tell everyone, like every good son, I wanted to do the exact opposite of my parents. Um, so I did not even, I didn't even apply to the Air Force Academy. Um, I knew that I wanted to go to West Point or Annapolis. Mm -hmm. That was sort of it for me. 
Uh, I actually got into West Point my junior year um, very, very early. So I, I got the boots. I was going to go. And then for Annapolis, I was put on the wait list. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to West Point. That's sort of the plan. Mm -hmm. And I got into Annapolis off the wait list, I think maybe spring break of my senior year, March, April, oh, wow. time frame. All right. um, and it's like, you know, I'm, my parents are in Virginia, Annapolis is closer. You know, I think I wanted to be a Navy SEAL or something back then. So I think all things sort of came together and I was very uh, glad that I was able to attend uh, Pleep Summer starting in the summer of 2008 for Annapolis. Awesome. Can you say a little bit about how a military academy shaped you? Like, what is it like to have that formative life experience in a military academy? Yeah, I, I love my time spent at the Naval Academy. I think there's a quote of, uh, it's better to be from the academy than actually currently attending. <laughs> I have right. a lot of mentees that are still at the academy right now. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Annapolis because in my mind, it was the perfect merger of Sparta and Athens. Um, you were able mm. to, you know, they call it a leadership laboratory. And I can remember right. being, okay, I'm a freshman, I'm a plebe. I complete that year. So now it's summer 2009. Um, I'm a freshman turning into a sophomore, turning into a youngster. And they gave me my first command. And my first command was they put me a 19 year old in charge of 10 to 12 um, individuals for for um, summer seminar. Mm -hmm. uh, so from an early age, you're already defining what type of leader are you going to be, your leadership style, et cetera. Mm -hmm. and I can remember my first summer there, they told me that you can't just go through the academy, do four years, be a sort of subpar leader, and then you cross the stage and graduate and you flip the switch and now you are a right. second lieutenant or an ensign. It's something that it's a muscle. It has to be developed. And I'm glad that a lot of my mistakes were made, uh, you know, 19, 20, 21 mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. I actually commanded a platoon or a company. Yeah. So after the academy, you went on and served as a Marine, uh, eventually rising to the level of captain. Can you tell us a little bit about your military service? Kind of where did you serve? And just tell us a little bit about what that time of life was like for you. No, I, I appreciate the question. So I tell everyone, um, leading Marines um, has been and, and will continue to be probably the, the greatest honor of my life. Um, I, I, I love I love my boys. Um, they, they're amazing. They, they taught me so much about myself. Um, so I graduated um, from the Naval Academy in 2012. Um, so I did six months at the basic school, which is where, you know, every officer in the Marine Corps goes to train. Um, and then I was fortunate to get picked for infantry. So I did the infantry officer course uh, in the spring of 2013. And then I did essentially three years at 1st Battalion, 8th Marines down in Camp Lejeune. Um, I enjoyed my time um, as a second lieutenant. I was a platoon commander and we deployed Southeast Asia. So, you know, Japan, once again, uh, so it was sort of full circle mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, the fourth or fifth time. Uh, we did the Philippines, we did South Korea. There was some Marines that went to Thailand. I took a company minus and went to Mongolia for a United Nations mission. So mm. really interesting time, you know, being 22 in charge of 40 Marines is something yeah. that's really humbling. And then after that, we did my second deployment. I was a first Lieutenant and, uh, we went to, we were post, uh, 
post Benghazi and post Task Force Tripoli, we did a lot of things with the uh, embassy reinforcements and security forces based in Italy and North Africa. So really mm -hmm. interesting sort of deployment. Did that, uh, picked up captain, and then I went back to the basic school as an instructor. Uh, and I'm actually still in the Marine Corps Reserves. Um, okay. I'm in the Marine Corps Innovation Unit. So just, I mean, they're going to pick up major. I either picked it up two weeks ago or in two weeks. I got to check the MAR admin, but uh, brand new major. I'm really hey. excited about the opportunity major and a mayor very nice <laughs> i i enjoy it it's just like i love being a marine and uh it's all about service yeah yeah amazing um so you chose to leave kind of full-time marines yeah. tell a little bit more i know you've written a little bit and spoken about what that was about say why you chose to leave the marines yeah and in my mind it really just came to the size and the scope of service and impact um, I love the Marine Corps, but I could kind of see what the next um, 10 years would look like in the active duty. A lot of moving around, not really settled. Um, and I wanted to just sort of expand my influence and the scope of service. And so uh, I knew that I think the future is always going to be at the intersection of the public and the private sector. Um, so I applied to go to Harvard, not only for business, but also public policy, because that's where my heart is. And I wanted to have the sort of skill set required to be a leader in not only the public, but also the private sector. So can you say a little bit about kind of key lessons you took from your time at the Kennedy School and the business school? Kind of what do you what did you take from that? I yeah, know that's a big question, but <laughs> it's honestly, it's just it, it sort of reminds me of Annapolis where you have a lot of resources. You're able to deep dive into one or two different policies, or you can just be a sort of jack of all trades, master of none. But I really try to figure out, okay, what is important to me? Um, what lever do I want to use to change the world? And I say world with a small w, like mm -hmm. my, my world. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, what are some of the connections that I can make, whether it's professors, new politics? Uh, and I don't even call it networking. I call it a professional family, people that I can rely on um, in the next 10 to 20 years. That was the sort of goal with going to Harvard for business and Kennedy school. Yeah. And I think all those things really came true. Great. And I know this is when our paths first crossed. This is when you encountered new politics. So how'd you hear about us and why'd you decide to sign up for answering the call? Yeah, of course. So let's see, I think the first person that told me about new politics was one of my best friends, Nathan Jester. I believe he was in maybe like the first cohort or the yeah, second very early. Mm -hmm. that was based in Boston. And um, he's kind of been, uh, you know, a, a role model uh, over the last, I mean, I met him when I was 18. So wow. okay. sort of done the exact same thing. You know, he's at, he's at the law school, I'm at the business school, yep. Marine Corps, et cetera. So he said, hey, there's a really amazing program, um, bipartisanship. Um, they're focusing on servant leaders. It's military, Peace Corps, teachers. You should really take a look at it. And uh, that's, that's what I did. And can you say a little bit about how it... How did it impact your journey? Kind of what'd you take from that? I, I think the most important thing was the why, the story, you know, the shadow mission. I think just sitting down with like-minded individuals and being able to, in a safe space, if you want to call it, mm -hmm. just share your hopes and your dreams and your fears. Um, I think it helps me codify why I'm running for a certain office. What am I trying to get out of it? Is this where I can really make an impact or perhaps I make an impact by not running, by being 
a chief of staff or by a fundraiser or a nonprofit. It just helped me sort of streamline all my thoughts and say, you know what? This is what I want to do because I can help people in this tangible way. And there was a sort of, I'm a goal-oriented person. And I think new politics helped me with that external stuff, but also internally to say, are you ready for this? And can we help? Great. And you actually went on to be an answering the call facilitator. So you held a space for other people. Say a little bit about what that was like for you. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a virtual um, cohort, I think due to COVID and yeah. some other things, but it was a lot of individuals that were kind of based in the Hampton Roads area, a lot of military that were getting out. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, time permitting, I would, I would love to do it again. Um, I think it's just so many people have built a bridge for me that I like to um, kind of pass that down and help others. Um, but leading a group was amazing. Um, it's the same people that I run again. I'll see when they're applying for, you know, Pat Tillman scholarships or they're applying right. to grad school, like certain people move in the exact same space. And so I really enjoyed helping people walk through their own mission and figuring out what's sort of the best role for them. Awesome. And my memory of you is you've always been interested in the position of mayor in Newport News, Virginia. Mm -hmm. When did you kind of decide that that was a goal for you? That was something you were interested in? So the before, as I was getting out of the Marine Corps, so I left active, active duty, I think the summer of 2018, after six years, I knew that the goal was always to go to business school, to policy school, and then come back to my region, the Hampton Roads region, in some capacity. Didn't know if that was going to be private sector or public sector, but in some capacity, I knew that I wanted to come back. Um, you know, starting from 2018, I've always been back, you know, weekends, holidays. I started poking around 2019-ish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I spent summers down there. I would take entire J terms in January, really plug it into the community. And everyone that I talked to, they said, listen, um, the current mayor is going to retire. He's been there for 12 years. Um, and no one really, there's no heir apparent. No one knows what's, what's going to happen. And a lot of people are concerned with a sort of power vacuum and what happens when someone that, um, when, when, when no one really knows who's going to run, there could be yeah opportunity for chaos. And so I think I honed in on mayor, I don't know, we'll say 2020, maybe we'll say, you know, late 19, early 2020. Okay. I, said, I think this is going to be an opportunity for me and let me see if it's viable. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's get into politics. So you recently, you did it, you ran and you won to become mayor of Newport News at 33. Uh, my understanding is the youngest person ever in that role, correct? Yes, sir. Amazing. So tell us, Tell us a little bit about the campaign. How was that for you? And kind of what was your strategy? How do you think about this? So I'll take it even taking a step back. And the yeah. reason I ran for mayor is because I think it is the perfect intersection of the public and the private sector. I think at a certain level, when you are um, legislating policies and other things, I think you get lost in the sauce with like state senate and delegate. I think mayor is a sort of executive branch role, but you're not in DC. These are people like, I go to Food Lion, I go to the gym, and people will say, hey, can I talk to you about the schools or there's a pothole? I mean, it really is where the rubber meets the road. And like, you actually get things done at the local level. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy that. And so for me, um, coming in, um, I had zero name ID. Um, I had a strong story and a strong narrative that I 
I thank New Politics and also I, I thank uh, Marshall Gans. Uh, I mean, I basically just did what you guys told me to do, and that's yeah. sort of how you make the strong narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I think I always had a strong story, but to put to, to to go from how my story connects to the city story, and then it brings us together, and we those are sort of the terminology that I use. But the campaigning was interesting. Um, I think in order to have a really good shot, I had to leave my job earlier than expected. Um, so. For the first time ever, so usually in Virginia, local elections are held in May. So that was always the plan. But then the last General Assembly moved it from May to November because mm-hmm. they said that, you know, May elections have less than 10% of people vote. Yeah. So now instead of 12,000 people voting, it goes to 60,000 people vote. So now it's the real election. And so I had to basically leave my job March and April Mm-hmm. fully campaign every single day for about seven or eight different months. Um, and the way that I approached the campaign was a military strategy. I broke it down into admin and intel and operations and logistics and communications. Um, I had a very, very strong team. And I always want to go on the record and say, uh, we won this race, not because of me, but because my team was amazing, all the way from the campaign manager to the deputy, to field, to the organizers, to Emily to Nick to to Ramos, like everyone has been extremely helpful, and that's why we were able to win. Um, and ultimately, it came down to the voters, and we had a very strong ground game. Uh, I lost about fifteen pounds uh, the last seven months. In a lot we of hit, miles, right? We hit over twenty thousand doors. I think wow. I hit eight thousand doors myself over seven, eight or seven or eight months. And I think after a while, it's how can you scale? And we scaled very, very quickly. Yeah, that's incredible. Can you tell us a little bit about knocking on doors? I mean, it's such a toxic, polarized moment um, for politics. And and there you are actually, you know, talking to people face to face. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what was that like? Yeah, of course. So I also want to clarify. So in Virginia, mayor and below are nonpartisan races. So you're not allowed to have a D or an R. So mayor, school board, city council. So people can lean left or right. But when you go on the ballot, there's, there's just, there's, there's no, no party. party. You're no, no yeah, party. So how does that, how does that impact what it means to be a candidate? So I actually enjoyed it because I was able to build a wide tent. Um, I was able to talk to Democrats and Republicans and say, yes, these, there are national issues at play. The, the mayor of Newport news has nothing to say about national sort of things, but I have a say in economic development. I have a say in our schools. I have a say in the vision. I have a say in how do we do policing? How do we do community policing? Um, and I think people were like, oh, like I may not agree with your national politics. However, no one has knocked on my door before. You are young, you are energetic, um, you have a vision and I believe in that. And it wasn't easy. Um, I would say, I don't know, the first three months, the first 90 days were very, very difficult. Um, I think in what campaign, sense? Yeah, what I, sense? I, I, I think a campaign is, um, a campaign is like a startup. Um, yeah. You have to scale. I mean, it's literally a startup. You're scaling quickly. You're hiring people. I'm still working full time. Communications, press, digital. It was very, very hard to do all of that and still talk to voters. I think we hit our stride August 1st, which I think is a great time. August, September, October, we really turned on the afterburners and we were able to talk to a lot of people, get a lot of people on board very, very quickly to include state senators, to include uh, former governors who endorsed the campaign, former mm, mayors, great. all things really came together. 
Um, and I think it was because we just had the tenacity to just keep working, you know, 16, 17 hour days for a long time. How do you think your military experience informed your approach as a candidate? I know you mentioned it a little bit, but say a little more. I think when you look at a nonpartisan race, which always turns partisan, um, what I told people was in the Marine Corps, I didn't care if you were left or right. Um, I didn't care if you were white or black. Um, all I cared about was, you know, what was inside and sort of your actions. That's what I tried to judge individuals on. I I'm not saying that, you know, people are colorblind. I think everyone sees race and, and creed and all of that. Um, but at the end of the day, as mayor of Newport News, I represent all people. Um, those who are citizens, those who are undocumented, those who are Catholic, those who are Muslim, it, it doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're one city, we're one Newport News unified, and we're going to boldly go into the future. And I think people appreciate that service background because it shows that he's a legitimate contender. He has leadership experience and he brings people together because uh, our mayor has done a really good job over the last 12 years. The city is poised for greatness, but I think something that could be a potential stumbling block is that um, we haven't always been the most unified on council. Um, and just to reiterate, uh, all cities in Virginia, unless you're in Richmond, they are a weak mayor system, strong city manager, right? So mm -hmm. think of the mayor and the council as the chair and the board of directors, and then you appoint the city manager who's the CEO. So really it's more of a left and right, lateral limits. It's a guiding post. It's the agenda. That's the role of mayor. It's not a day-to-day -day city manager, CEO style. Okay. Okay. And I have to ask, part of what New Politics is doing is inviting folks before they become candidates to, to really get clear about inner stuff, core values, mission, shadow. How much did you think about that? How Can you say anything about how that kind of influenced your experience on the campaign trail? Yeah, I think tying into shadow missions and the internal sort of components, I think the best thing about new politics was connecting with people who were in my circle who had ran before. I think I called maybe 15 to 20 individuals in the network. Um, hey, I'm having a bad day. Um, one of my opponents said something that's just not true. Um, people are saying mean things about me. And, and, and I always thought I, I'm a very stoic individual. Mm -hmm. when you're in this thing day in and day out and you're going to churches and some churches will, will let you speak. Some won't. You're trying to fundraise. You're calling people for money. It's just um, you feel alone. You feel yeah. isolated. And I think without new politics, without understanding why I'm doing it, what is um, the impetus? Um, I think. I would have degraded um, at a faster rate than I was. Uh, I can tell you the last week and a half, I've just been sleeping, honestly, and just trying to meet with my city council members, school board members, et cetera, um, because it takes it out of you, not only physically, um, but mentally. And I always credit Emily and New Politics and, and you, Max, for just, just helping me understand, hey, this is going to be a slog. But if you know like the why, then that is that, that sort of internal motivation. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I have to ask, yeah. election night, how was that? Tell us about where, where were you gathered and how did all the results come in? Tell us about that night. It was it was honestly surreal. Um, so there's I'm going to make there's probably between 40 and 45 voting precincts in Newport News. So we have the north, central and the south just divided. We'll say there's you know 13 to 15 uh, in each district. 
so I had my volunteers, I had my, um, my partner, I had my, my parents, I had my aunts, I had everyone that loved me. Yeah. And for my strategy, um, I knew that I was going to win the central. Um, that's where I grew up as a kid. That's where I live. My parents yeah. live. I'm going to win the central, the South. I probably get, there's four of us writing. I'll probably get second or third, but the North was the battleground. The North is where no one is from. It's a heavy military Fort Eustis sort of background, highly transient population. So I've always said, I win central. If I win the North, I win. So I spent all day, there's going back and forth between the North precincts, talking to people, bringing them food, talking to voters, et cetera. Um, at about 6 p.m., my campaign manager, Ryan Jackson, who is the best in Virginia at politics, um, he's done multiple gubernatorial campaigns and congressional campaigns, and just so glad that I got him for a, you know, a small local race, even though we're the uh, fourth or fifth largest city in Virginia. And he called me and said, hey, he said, uh, we need to go back and you need to write a victory speech and a speech for concession. And I said, okay, we went back, we showered, we went back to, uh, I think, a local brewery. And he said, are you ready? And I was like, what are you talking about, Ryan? He said, I'm going to start counting. The numbers are coming in. And so we sat there and the polls closed at 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. We started getting the first reports back at 7.05. And at 7.15, we had won the first five precincts. And Ryan looks over at me and says, we can stay here longer, but we've won it. I'm calling the media and I'm declaring victory. Uh, (laughs) 15 minutes after the polls closed. And I I was like, Ryan, there's only been, you know, he's like, you've won the biggest precinct in the South. You won the biggest Republican precinct and you won the biggest Democratic precinct. He said, these are trends. I'm calling the media. This thing is over. And uh, it was crazy. Um, A lot of my fraternity brothers, my family, all my loved ones were there. Yeah. Uh, We we basically waited until the media called it at about 830. Mm -hmm. I went out. I talked to the crowd. I talked to probably three or four of the uh, uh, local news stations and it was helpful. I was so glad that the current mayor came out in person to shake my hand. Um, nice. State delegates, state senators, uh, or state Senator Mamie Locke, um, delegate uh, Shelly Simons and others came and I got a lot of calls from uh, senators and congressmen and, and governors, et cetera. So I, I just feel, I feel blessed. It was humbling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Incredible. And I think the best part was that, um, there's four of us running and I won with 40% of the vote, which means it was a sort of, it was, it was almost a mandate. Um, The three that I was running against had been on council for four to 16 years uh, and people had wanted a change. Yeah. Um, I think people don't know like what type of change they want, but they want change. And it's helpful going into a new role, knowing that it wasn't close, knowing that you have, people behind you because they are the ones ultimately that the mayor answers mayor yeah that's incredible congratulations that's fantastic especially you know for a first race it's a it's really a fantastic outcome so tell us a little bit about your vision for newport news what what, what are you focused on as you step into this new role so the sort of things that we ran on were number one we want to accredit fully accreditate all of our schools so a lot of the neighboring schools on Hampton Roads are fully accredited, 100%. We're about 74% of of my schools are accredited. Uh, We have amazing teachers. Um, We have an amazing staff. We need to put some of the pieces together to ensure that our kids have the best education. 
Um, there was a report that came out, um, Newport News ranked highest or lowest, however you want to describe it. We lost 1.94 years of learning loss due to COVID. Yeah. So we are the worst in the state when it comes to learning loss. So we're not going to feel those effects until, you know, for another two or three years when we have individuals trying to graduate high school that, you know, are really ninth graders sort of in their education development. And so I've always said, I believe that children of the future, we have to invest in them. And so number one is accrediting our schools. I think number two can be sort of public safety. Um, I think it's a national issue. Um, usually um, the crime in cities are individuals between the ages of 16 and 19 classified as opportunity youth. So I think there's like, I think that one is more, is, is uh, more nebulous and how you can actually fix that. But I think it's community uh, nonprofits, it's change agents, it's going into the community, talking to families, um, more soft than sort of hard skills there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately, number three is like economic developments. Like, how do you pay for that? How do you um, like invest Detroit or Cleveland where they're having this sort of uh, rebirth, a transformation? Yeah. That's what's going to happen very, very soon in Newport News. I tell everyone, Newport News, we have headquartered here the largest employer in the state of Virginia. We have the shipyard, the, uh, the Newport News shipyard. Okay. Uh, it's a part of Huntington Ingalls. So we build the world's greatest aircraft carriers and submarines. So we employ the most people in the state of Virginia headquartered in downtown Newport News. We have the assets. We have the resources. Now it comes down to strategy and execution. Amazing. Amazing. And when do you formally step in? When do you get a... When, when do you begin this role? Yep. So legally January 1st, but okay. inauguration is January 10th. Yep. Yep. So exciting, Philip. So exciting. So last question for you. Yeah. What advice do you have for other servant leaders who are out there looking at the headlines, wondering if they should step up and try and serve through politics? What, what would you say to them? I would say um, do it. Number one, um, whether you know you, you have to be the man or the woman in the arena, that's the only way that sort of things get done. I would take a look at what is the best role and location for you. So the role, is that going to be elected office? Is that going to be local? Is it going to be state? Is it going to be federal? Is it going to be assisting? I think understanding the why, I think figuring out what the role is, what is the timeline, what is the location? I think trying to merge um, family and job, like that's where things get difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think we need a new generation of leaders to step up. Um, and I love new politics because it's more than just your MBAs or your JDs. It's actually like a very diverse group of people because at the end of the day, I always believe in sort of ground up refinement. The community knows what they need. They don't need someone to parachute right. in and say, I can lead you. That, that's not what it is. It's, I think I, I view the role of mayor as a facilitator, someone that can amplify the voices of people that have been historically underserved for far too long. All I am is a trumpet. I facilitate and I amplify their voices. And hopefully with my network, I can bring DC and Boston and SF and LA resources, money, um, intellectual sort of uh, capital to my city because we are on the edge of greatness. Um, and I mean, we are a very, I mean, we're the fourth or fifth, depending on, you know, fluctuations, largest city in Virginia. Um, and it's a lot of people here who have been suffering. 
Um, and I just want to help people at the end of the day. And my dad, he always says, uh, what man is a man it doesn't make the world a better place. Mm. Uh, and this is how sort of I want to make the world a better place. So powerful, Philip. Well, we are so honored to be part of your journey. And all of us at New Politics, we're cheering you on and just congratulations. And so excited to see all the ways that you're going to be of service in this new role. And uh, thank you for sharing your story with us here on the podcast. No, Max, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. And I've always said it, um, individuals and groups that have helped me in the past, I will always be here as a resource. doesn't matter if I'm the mayor of Newport News or a husband or a father, whatever comes next. This is an amazing organization. It helped uh, guide me left and right. Um, I call people from New Politics, uh, Nick uh, and, and Alberto, and, and I call people so, so many times that you guys have been amazing and I really appreciate it. Fantastic. And I just feel moved to say that, you know, we're about six years into the organization now, and we're starting to see folks like you who really have come through the program and been a part of this experience and have found it helpful. And that is, that's our intention to serve folks like you to, to make the leap into politics. So um, congratulations. And, uh, and it's really been an honor to see it all happen. Thank you, Max. I appreciate it. This has been the New Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Max Clow. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join us for our next episode when we meet another servant leader who has chosen to step up and serve through politics. If you want to learn more about New Politics and the candidates that we support, please check us out online at newpolitics.org. If you're a fan of what we're doing with this podcast, I invite you to become a subscriber and give us a positive rating. It's a small act that helps us out in a big way. And if you believe in the work that we're doing at New Politics, please consider donating via our website to support our efforts to revitalize American democracy. I'll leave you with this question, as always. How do you feel called to serve at this critical moment for our nation? Thanks for joining. See you next time.